I'm Alan, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Kaylee, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Danielle. My pronouns are she, her. And you are listening to Target Snark It, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. Here we are, Mo Tuesdays, Mo Problems. I just want to be clear that this is scripted for me. This is Target Snarket, where my team occasionally writes scripts for me to read on our (laughs) weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. We like to spend a little bit of our time on the clock diving into the business and marketing world that we spend approximately 2,080 hours per year working in so that we can hopefully make it better. I do. I am actually, I'm very impressed that, did you go and like Google how many hours are in a work year? I did. I did. It was depressing. Okay. Really, so it's funny that, it, because like I have it memorized in my head because in recruiting, you always have to like do that quick math. Like when you're trying to figure out if somebody's going to go from contract to perm or full-time. And so I'm like 20, 2080 hours. I like saw the number and I was like, that's the number of working hours in a year. Oh, that's, that's what we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) it's fine. I'm an expert in a lot of things. Um, (laughs) And that's me. I'm Danielle. The most... The most important person at Broad. Clearly, I didn't write this because I wouldn't say that myself. Thanks, <laughs> Alan. Literally, all of that was scripted. <laughs> You're <Alan>? welcome, Danielle. <laughs> and I'm Alan, the least important person <laughs> at Broad. Oh. I am not sure why I let you do the script sometimes. <laughs> wow. Well, like, like, what's hilarious about this is that I appreciate that, that, you know, we, we all are like typing out exactly what we want to say, like, it's very funny. And it's just for the intro, right? Like, we don't do this for any of our like, actual discussion outlines or things like that. Like we outline our steps, but we're like, we all have to like ease back into the podcast every week. And so I do appreciate that you wrote exactly what it is that I should say and then would say after what you made me say. But I just, it was too good. It was too good to not point out that literally all of that was was scripted. So yeah, I'm learning how to write fiction. And I think that was really good, really accurate. Wait, fiction. So I'm... I'm not the most important person. No, Unreal. I mean you want your fiction Unreal. to be oh, Unreal. Unreal. Oh. <laughs> oh, fucking walked person. right into that. Like <laughs> So uh today we want to dive into a topic that we not only discuss with our marketing strategy clients, but also on a personal level. And that's something that like you know, as we're talking to like new podcast guests or when I talk to people about what our pod is about. You know, I, I say that we we originally set it up to be like this business marketing strategy sort of a situation where we were actually talking about the things that we were experts in and talking about ways to improve it all, right? But then somewhere along the way, much of our audience became people not in those worlds at yeah. all. <laughs> Which is great. I mean, like, I'm not gonna kick any audience out of bed, you know what I'm saying? But like, 
it was just a it was just a weird turn of events and now i feel like we do a lot we do have a lot of conversation about how to be more responsible and ethical just digital citizens right yeah. and I think that's when I was uh, admittedly very late night as I'm trying to go to bed going, oh, shit, we have to record tomorrow. I don't have a podcast topic (laughs) and I'm booked in back to back meetings until we record. This concept is something that I've been talking about a lot this week. And so it seemed like it was a a really good one to be able to, to bring up on the pod talking about awareness, the concept of awareness, how awareness campaigns work when we're talking to our clients, how awareness isn't always the thing they want, even though they think it is, how sometimes people discount awareness and like how, you know, the the journey that we've had to take to show people, to show brands in particular, that awareness is actually a super important thing. But then also like trying to go viral, like, wanting to work with the well known, most well-known and like expensive influencer, even though you really only need a micro influencer for your community, et cetera, et cetera. And that's like the marketing and business side, but in a broader context, sort of like out in the world, proper noun, awareness has become sort of this like strange, like compulsory reactionary thing. I mean, I, there, there's always the 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 chuggy thing. The millennials do. Am I am I use? I think I'm using that right because I think millennials are the chuggy ones. Yeah, yeah. That that we're like we were all like let's normalize. Like I literally probably ten minutes before we started recording, just shared to my Instagram story like phrases that need to be retired forever, which was undoubtedly written by somebody from the generation Z. Um, yeah. and, but they were all phrases that needed to be retired forever. And I feel like let's normalize should be on that list. Yes. Yes. Let's normalize getting crumbs in your hair in, in the morning with breakfast. Do you know what I mean? It like became everything. <laughs> Where, as- <laughs> I was going to go with, it became everything that everybody already does anyway, or like we started to act (laughs) like things were not normalized, but I don't get crumbs in my hair at breakfast. So maybe for your sake, we should normalize that. You're like not having enough fun in your life if you're not. So (laughs) let's normalize it for you. Let's normalize fun for you. Apparently. (laughs) No, I think, I think though it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. Like the, the one, I feel like the turning point for me on the whole, like, let's normalize this was, and I know, I know you saw it from like, it's several months ago now, maybe even a couple of years ago where people were like, let's normalize and not interrupting people when they talk or trying to make a story about yourself. Like the interrupting thing I get, but like trying to like responding by making a story about yourself. And I'm like, this is how people with ADHD relate. This is how we converse. We converse by like, yes, we can learn how to like not interrupt as much, but also in my experience, good conversation has an element of interruption in it that's like built in. Right. And then like the way that people with neurodiversity relate to other people is by going like, Oh yeah, I get what you're saying. 
this thing happened to me that is similar. And it's like, we're waiting to go like for somebody to say like, yeah, exactly. Or no, that's not the thing at all to confirm that we understand. And so when this whole, like this post started going around social media, like let's normalize and not talking about yourself. I'm like, this is just shitty. Now you're, you're acting as though this isn't normalized already. And we are in the neurodivergent community an annoyance and an aberration because we do this thing. You're asking us to normalize a behavior that is already fucking normal instead of normalizing the thing that actually just means more compassion and understanding. Right. Right. Yeah. It got so convoluted and so messy. And this happens with anything, any, like anything that's overused is it starts getting twisted and it, it's starting to get twisted, you know? It's, and, you know, I know that, like, this concept of normalizing, you know, it's not that we want to downplay the importance of awareness or normalization. Like I said, you know, there are still battlefronts where, like, because I can, I can find a way to fight with anybody anywhere, really. Um, Like, on LinkedIn, I had an argument with a guy who is, like, a marketing expert when he was... Uh, it was the, they're called fake out of home now. It was the Maybelline, the, the eyelashes on the subway thing. Do you oh, remember yeah. this? Uh-huh, I do. And so like the train would go through and it would be like the eyelashes would come. I don't know why I feel the need to put the eyelashes <laughs> on my head for those of you who are watching on YouTube. <laughs> but... but uh, this guy was like, they spent how much money on this? And all it did was drive awareness. And like, that doesn't translate to dollars. And I'm like, that's how retail works, bro. Like, literally, that's how retail works. Awareness is a huge part of building a brand. And so there are still some, you know what, I'm gonna say it old timers out there who really don't understand the value of awareness. And I feel like, you know, our favorite clients understand that you have to start at the top of the funnel, right? You have to start with awareness before you can do anything else, but also you don't want to get stuck there because to, to this guy's point, like, what does it do? Right? Like you have to translate that into dollars somehow when it comes to marketing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm talking and you're just going, yes. All yeah, right. well, you're normalizing, <laughs> you're normalizing not interrupting people. And so I'm just doing that. No, I'm saying I'm saying you can interrupt me. No, I know, I know. It was a joke. It was a joke. That was really Good. funny. People are laughing. Good. They're just not here yet. <laughs> On Tuesday, they're laughing. So <laughs> Alan wants us to uh uh, instead, discuss where awareness came from. Where does it go? Where did it come from? Cotton-eyed Joe. This was scripted for me, you guys. Like this is like I'm glad. I'm glad you are getting a fucking kick out of your own. Like, <laughs> oh my god, like dying. <laughs> Because I, this is a song that, I, and like, when I, you wrote that, yeah, you were you were like, yeah, this is this is gonna be good. I know this it. Is, I know it. 
did. I was like, this is so funny. Um, and now it's just me and my wife laughing. Per usual. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted you to Anyhow, say that. I, I also like that the next line that you scripted was you saying, <laughs> I was really hoping you'd follow the script there as if you knew that I would see it and not follow it. <laughs> this is so Truly, fun. I feel like this script needs to be published and like autographed at this point. Like, <laughs> maybe we auction it off. Like, yeah. I don't even know. All right. Anyway, we're here to discuss why awareness was important and, in some respects, why it still is, uh, what it sort of morphed into, and ultimately where we should go from here. So, I know that we wanted to kind of break out the history of uh, awareness as a concept and not like going back to like, I am uh, self-aware or like, you know, I think therefore <laughs> I am or anything, but more like, like, like we're not getting Cartesian, but we will get millennial on this and, yeah. and millennials in, in everything that I understand and, and have read were really this sort of like, generation responsible for like this awareness concept digitally right like i yeah. think of like people with uteruses who have miscarried for instance and uh how a lot of times they previously suffered in silence and how being able to say it out loud meant that they could find community i think about queerness and being able to yeah. say it out loud and make it okay for people you know my my in-laws have asked my husband, like, why does Danielle talk about being uh, queer or bisexual when she's married to you? And I'm not going to get into all of that. But I mean, one of the reasons that I've always talked about it is that I grew up in a very rural town and come from a hyper evangelical background. And every year when I am insufferably bisexual uh, out loud on social media, I end up getting messages private messages from people who don't feel like they can be out yet and it's yeah. it's the first step in their journey to being out so like that is like how i've seen awareness like really actually personally impact people yeah and i you know i think about millennials too and and the role that it, the internet played in that about how we maybe people from rural areas couldn't find a community that help them feel safe enough to come out but the internet happened and then you could find people who were like you or it normalized it and it was like whoa i'm not so weird because other people are googling this thing about gender or this thing about this feeling i have that i thought nobody else had you know um right so yeah i think it what it was and is still a really important step in I don't know, like the evolution of our culture, even not queer culture. I mean, just like totally. culture in general, we've made so much progress right. simply because I think millennials came in and said, Hey, we're not going to like, we're not going to live under this gross shame anymore. We're actually right. going to find right. each other and support each other when we can, you know? Right. We're going to ask well, for more. And I mean, even, 
Right. Absolutely. And I think even, you know, keeping it inside of the context of queerness, just for another moment, you know, there were words, that, there was language that I was not personally familiar with 10, 15 years ago, language yeah. like non-binary and gender non-conforming and agender. And I mean, those are words that, that I, not to say that because I wasn't aware of it, nobody was aware of it, but like that I know that people are still getting used to. There's the, the concept of the Overton window, which is, you know, to sort of paraphrase, well, to sort of paraphrase the concept is this, this idea that there is this moving window around culture and everything inside of the window is acceptable culture and everything to the right of the window where it's moving is unacceptable and everything to the left is sort of like what's past. And like, that's, it's not that it's not acceptable. It's that it was at one point in time and the Overton window is constantly moving. So, you know, remember 15 years ago when having visible tattoos was a huge fucking no, no in our culture. And like, you couldn't get it. Like you were, you were supposed to be resigned to like, you know, only having service industry jobs as though that's a, that's a problem. But like we were, we had this like scare tactic campaign from our parents, right. That like, you can't have visible tattoos if you ever want to work in an office, say, not sure what's so fucking great about offices, but (laughs) like (laughs) then the Overton window changed, It, it moved. And now it's almost weird if you don't have tattoos, like when I look at people who have to stay completely covered up in suits all day, like that world is changing and there are still industries and spaces like that, but it is changing. And so when you consider that, like you have to have awareness of a thing in order to draw attention to it, I think that makes sense. And now when, when you've got, angry people who are angry about things that don't impact them for no reason, you know, going like, why are there so many non-binary people now? Oh, isn't that funny? Like, no, they were always there. They just sat in silence or they didn't have language to attach to it. And I know you've talked about that, like as a, a personal journey as well. Oh yeah. I mean, if I had known about, I almost said non-binaryism. <laughs> That's a thing. But like if I'd known about <laughs> any of the language around like gender fluidity. What? <laughs> I'm good. Let's make it. <laughs> I so bad. We're a Gemini and a Sagittarius. We should not non-binary. <laughs> Tyler won't let me. My husband will not let me talk about it because he's like, absolutely. He cuts me off because I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I'd be a pretty good cult leader. And he's like, we're not. We're not doing this because you would. And we cannot afford to do this. (laughs) No, cults might also be one of my Roman empires. I think I think about cults a lot. Yeah. And like starting. Same. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh huh, a lot. So, um, but if I had known about like gender fluidity, because I I didn't have the language to explain why I looked one way and that was me, and then maybe a couple years later I looked a different way and that was still me, and also you can't make fun of the way I used to look because that was me. You know, I used to say that all the time. I'd be like, just because I'm femme now doesn't mean you can make fun of the way I dressed or had my hair three years ago, because that was authentic as well. Um, you know, and I, but I didn't know that meant I was gender fluid or non-binary, you know, so definitely. Um, 
that has moved and changed for me. And then, you know, it's even more of a challenge too, when you're um, learning about things that you're not part of, you know what I mean? Like we're part of queerness and we're growing and changing within that, but then there are things we don't experience um, that we're having to learn and grow with as well. Right. Well, and awareness is, um, as a concept, is really important in terms of lifting emotional labor too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when other people are speaking out and and joining you in this sort of like awareness play, for lack of a better term, it means that you don't have to do all the explaining all the time. Like I remember, you know, I have a, a handful of, of chronic illness issues and one of them is POTS. And I remember, you know, the POTS communities that I am inside of on social media platforms were thrilled when, like, I think it was some celebrity got diagnosed with it because it meant that that celebrity now has a platform that all of these journalists and news outlets are now going to dig into it. And now they won't have to explain quite so much anymore um, yeah. because I've definitely dealt with my fair share of, you know, with, with my conditions, my fair share of, I say, oh, I can't do X, Y, or Z, but in my world, it's, I can't do that most of the time, but on a really good day, I can do that. And I want to do that. Like, you know, oh, I can't eat uh, a lot of sugar, you know, but then if I say that and you see me at a party eating a cupcake, you're like, what the fuck is this bitch's issue? Like I thought like, oh, interesting. I thought that you couldn't eat sugar. And it's, it's, right. it's not about that. It's, it's, there's a complicated uh, equation that goes into it for me. And I can, if I've had a series of really good days, you know, it won't, it won't kill me. And I know too, with things like neurodivergence, ADHD, autism, et cetera, we, we saw people come out of hiding and say, this is normal. And because of that, there were so many more people to do that emotional labor that helped us both find ourselves and identify, you know, those things in ourselves but also helped us so that now for at least the first time in my lifetime, the Harvard Business Review is talking about how to better uh, tap into, you know, your neurodiverse talent at work. I never have seen that before. And that was really huge, you know? So the world changes as awareness grows, right? Well, yeah, I was actually just thinking about how I posted something recently. I don't know if you saw it about um, doctors. It was something like doctors in movies when you have an unexplained diagnosis and they're like, I'll dig into it and I'll find the answer no matter what happens. Then it's like doctors in real life and they're like, oh, you're overweight or, oh, you right. know. Right. Just lose weight. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And I had a doctor friend reach out about that post and basically be like, doctors are one of the most hated professions these days. You know, we're all good people just trying our best, blah, blah, blah. And I had the energy that day to engage. Some days I would have just been like, okay, yeah, I understand. Hashtag not all doctors, which was the, essentially the argument, but really that this whole thing was, it's an awareness that like, Hey, not everybody 
has felt good going to the doctor. And now we're finally able to say something about it. And enough people are saying enough things that maybe instead of feeling defensive about it, you should take a look at the profession and how things are going. You know what I mean? Um, So yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting how things progress and how people react to awareness now, especially now that we're more aware of so many things. Right. It's it's funny that you bring that up because I, I'm sitting here trying to think of another profession where all of your clients or customers don't actually enjoy seeing you and more often than not end up getting the wrong answers or solutions. Not, I wouldn't say more often than not, but plenty of times, especially people who have like bigger problems end up getting the wrong answers or solutions from you. And instead of looking within and trying to fix what you're doing, you go, well, you just don't understand. I work very hard. <laughs> I would, we would never be able to do that. Like I'm, I'm sitting here going like, you know, and, and obviously I didn't fucking go to medical school, right? I didn't live as a medical professional, professional during the pandemic. In no way yeah. am I, am I discounting the sacrifice and the hard work, but also I work very hard as well. (laughs) And uh, in this sort of like post like height of COVID world, uh, if all of my clients were posting memes about how I just put shitty band-aids on their problems, I wouldn't have a business. I like it doesn't do me much good to be like you have no idea how hard I work and I'm still a human and blah blah like I get it you know science is an evolving field but I just can't figure out like many other professions where you're allowed to tell your clients (laughs) that they need to have more sympathy for you while you don't deliver the right services for them well yeah and like Her thing was like that doctors are expected to have all the answers right away. And I was like, I don't, I, I don't think that's the issue. It's, it's like, no, you just, you're also like doctors to be fair are like under immense pressure from a system that is completely broken. Like, you know, it's, 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 again, it's the hashtag, not all doctors, (laughs) essentially the argument, you know, against that you know so i think i think in general like you know and this is this is tangential of course but i mean you know we're two old pros when it comes to having to deal with doctors you know so uh and and it's possible that maybe our anecdotal evidence i mean not even possible it's probably likely that our anecdotal evidence is is more in the minority but i've never expected doctors to have answers i've expected them to have a curiosity as a matter of fact i prefer when they don't give me answers right away because they tend to be incorrect. So like, I don't need you to have answers. I need you to have more curiosity. Um, but anyway, anyway, that's like, I guess neither here nor there. Um, but like, but also, you know what, maybe it's not neither here nor there because this concept of awareness, like I feel like, especially inside of 
this sort of like health issue uh, space, you have doctors and, you know, people who believe in science, like, which, whatever. Okay. <laughs> like, yes, I also believe in science. I just don't feel like I need to announce it as though, like, I'm somehow better than everybody else. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm thinking of a few people in particular. It's fine. Um, it's It's this idea that, like, Oh, you went to Dr. Google, you went to WebMD, you know, or now playing back into that awareness piece, TikTok and Instagram. Oh, oh, everybody thinks they're autistic. Everybody thinks they have ADHD now because of all this awareness that exists right now. But like, you're not giving us anything else to go off of. So the awareness continues to build. And this awareness play, I mean, and this is kind of where the pendulum starts to swing, right? You need awareness in order to help people understand what's going on feel better about the thing you're going through yourself and also hopefully start to find solutions to the problem. Right. Yeah. But when instead of the people who could help find solutions, instead of them jumping in to educate and pivot the awareness into action, when instead they just roll their eyes and make fun of the growing awareness play and then discount everybody who feels a certain way, that's not fixing anything. Right. And we talk about awareness without action all the time, especially in social justice spaces. But I mean, you mentioned it earlier in a marketing space, which is like awareness and where, where's the ROI in this? Like, how are we right. moving people through um, through the funnel right. and maybe through the social justice funnel as well that's similar, sure. moving people through to action? Well, so the thing about the marketing funnel, and if you'll allow me to marketing nerd out for a moment, oh, um, yeah, is yeah, that yeah. they've been trying to... Hell yeah. Like they've been trying to retire the concept of the funnel for at least a decade, um, if not longer. And it's because the concept of the funnel, generally speaking, that you have a top, a middle, and a bottom, and that people enter through the top and then you move them through the bottom. And top is awareness and middle is consideration and bottom is conversion. So it's this idea that there is sort of a linear path that people go through when they're trying to make a decision about something. This this is the way that marketers use it to get you to buy things or interact with them. But really, marketing didn't come up with this thing. This is this is documented based on um, what what marketers have observed, what what humans do in general, and how they move towards decision making. And the reason they've been trying to retire it and, and call it like the buyer's journey and it's more cyclical. And we use buyer's journey and funnel together in our work because the funnel is really good at communicating um, a concept of a buying cycle for understanding. But the, the concept of the buyer's journey essentially takes that funnel, those three stages, it splits them into six. And it says that not everybody's going to enter at the top of the funnel, right? When they interact with your brand, they might interact or they might enter in the consideration phase and, or in the, the 
bottom top, which is like those two at the top that are split up. And so the idea is that like, it's not linear. It could, they could enter at a specific point. They could move up. They could move down. They could just stay static. That, that human beings don't necessarily our, our purchasing behavior, our decision-making behavior is not necessarily as linear as a funnel where you, you know, you put things in, they go out the bottom. Like people can exit and enter and move through stages at any point in time. So that's the concept of this. And awareness is obviously a huge part of it because you cannot solve a problem if you are not aware that one exists. And so when we work with brands, I can think of uh, a very very famous brand that we worked with. Um, and I don't say that to be like, <laughs> because we're amazing, but because like they thought that because they were very famous, that they had to do no investment or, or consideration of people in the awareness phase at all. Everybody knows who we are. Why would we spend time trying to figure out who these people are who don't know us? And it was just the most short-sighted thing because like you have to talk to those people. And and this is why the concept of the funnel is really helpful in communicating these things, especially from a marketing perspective, because if you are constantly filling the funnel and getting more people aware, the funnel dries out. Eventually everything that's in it goes away. You've put everything through the bottom. The the sand, you know, if we're comparing it, it has all come out. And now what do you have? And so this this idea like i i feel like we need to get to a place where you know awareness is obviously it's very critical it's very important but it's also not the only stage and when you have people like doctors let's say or medical professionals or who people who believe in science um when those people condescend towards people who are just becoming aware of a thing it doesn't solve the problem and it keeps people stuck and people who are in an awareness stage. This is so critical in terms of understanding human behavior and how humans operate. And it's literally how we like quote unquote hack marketing or whatever. People who have become aware have become aware of a problem that they yes. need to solve. They've become aware of a challenge they need to overcome. And if you don't do anything with these people, if you don't educate them on what action to take next, they will stay there and they will seek out the information themselves. And that is where the danger comes in. So if you are sitting in an industry where maybe your profession is not, you know, you don't do marketing, you don't push people through a buyer's funnel or anything like that. But you're sitting in an industry where you see that people have become aware of a problem and you're doing nothing to educate them on what the next step is. You can expect them to try and find the answers themselves. And this is how misinformation spreads. Oh, yes. Chef's kiss. And you just educated. You just moved us from awareness to conversion. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, I think about the fact that like, I'm going to, I'm going to poke the bear, sticky wicket, whatever it is. I'm thinking about the 
I'm going to use words that people are going to be pissed off by. And I get that. I'm using them in an effort to say that I'm not taking a stand or making a point at this point. I am simply talking about the thing. The situation between Israel and Palestine right now, I understand that the word situation is charged in its neutrality. I get that. That like, how dare you call it a situation? I understand that. Stick with me, please. The situation in Israel and Palestine, the way that we are seeing the conversation play out online is what happens when we get stuck in awareness. Because most of the people that I think you and I are seeing online that we're interacting with do not live there. Yeah. And there is this sort of human need to solve this problem that has been going on for decades. I literally, I remember learning about peace summits when I was in grade school. It has been going on for decades and decades. I'm not saying that you have to understand the history in order to know, like that that's not, do not, listeners, please do not read into this. I am, I am simply observing something here that when we don't have a cogent solution to this problem, people will seek out information to try to solve the problem that ultimately aligns with where they're falling. And so this is where we start to see this place of awareness get people stuck because now misinformation is rampant on both sides. Propaganda is rampant on both sides. People are not fact-checking. I read probably like three articles from like AP and Reuters and you know NPR that were like, here is all the misinformation that we've been able to document and fact-check for you. It is rampant because there are no solutions, but we keep pushing people to make stands anyway for the sake of awareness. Mm. Yes. If we don't have a solution, at what point does that awareness become destructive? Yeah. And I, I think about, I mean, and again, I'm not, um, directly comparing these two struggles, right? I'm not saying that, but I think about when we talk about visibility in the queer community, because obviously that's community I'm part of. um, And I I understand through that lens um, or I see the world through that lens. And I think about, we talked about bi visibility um, and how you were like, oh, I get to be visible for a day. And then, you know, I am invisible from there. (laughs) And then we talked about like trans day of visibility because I think it happened like after a mass shooting of queer folks and before pride. Um, I might be getting the dates wrong. Either way, trans day of visibility. in the spring. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was between the club Q shooting and pride. And it happened and it was like, I had a moment where I was like, do I want to be visible? Do I want awareness around this right now? It feels dangerous. Actually, it feels pretty dangerous right now. I had, I had a trans book coming out for pride and I was, I 
I had, I was doing pretty well on TikTok with videos um, and content around trans issues. I stopped posting leading up to the launch of a fucking book. But that was because I was like, oh, the comments I'm getting, the vitriol I'm receiving, this visibility without the backing of some sort of action is actually dangerous. So, yes. Yeah. I think that is such an important point. And the article that I had shared with you prior to this talks about how George Floyd's murder was a turning point uh, in terms of American, especially social media and this pressure to, to say things out loud. But it was to create awareness, but also to make sure that everybody knew what side you were on. And as one side gets loud, the other one gets loud as well. And that can lead to real danger. And it's things that we don't think about, right? I'm really unimpressed in the last few years with, as a society, our individual I was going to say inability to parse out what is misinformation, but that's inaccurate and that's, that's not fair. I'm, I'm unimpressed with our individual ability to convince ourselves that the content we consume cannot possibly be misinformation. And I am unimpressed with our ability to believe with our full fucking throat that the way that we show up for causes is the way everybody needs to show up for causes Mm -hmm. in order to do the work irrespective of, of blockers. It is further marginalizing. I'm thinking about like the George Floyd protests, for instance, that happened literally in the middle of COVID. I didn't realize until later, but like I have a handful of, of, you know, chronic illnesses that actually could have made me a, a terrible sitting duck to, to die. Should I have contracted COVID? My husband has a heart condition and, and severe asthma. So we were staying put to protect him, but I could not help but internalize the messages that unless I was out there protesting and, and ultimately risking my life, my husband's life, then I was not anti-racist. And that is, that is highly ableist, highly ableist. That is unthinking about different conditions. And that is operating under the assumption that everybody, we, we reduce people to, to specific characteristics without thinking about intersections again. And, and to ask you as a trans person to be visible, to stand up, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you standing up for our community? That is dangerous. And, and we have to think 
about the ways that people can show up. I'm seeing it now the whole, like, if you're not standing up on whatever side of the, the situation, again, I understand the, the shittiness of the neutral term in Israel or in Palestine, then that means you would have been a Nazi. That means you would have been a slave owner. That means you would have stood idly by while these things happen. That means because you're not willing to risk anything that you aren't showing up. Um, the way that, that society needs you to, and therefore you are fascist or you are anti-Semitic or whatever it is that, that goes into it. It is unflinchingly black and white in a way that does not account for the fact that we're not providing solutions for everybody. Yeah. And being in Europe too, has been really interesting to hear conversations about Americans um, due to the Mm. role that America plays. But, you know, I saw a lot of Irish people reposting this thing that was like Americans um, can more easily understand a gluten-free bread shortage than war or something like that. And I was like, America's 339 million people, first of all. And you just, you just said that about 339 million people. And that's a problem. You know what I mean? Um, And we're seeing that across the board. Um, And also, I mean, you bring up intersectionality and that's such a good point. And uh, my wife is currently studying social justice and um, recently explained to me that like intersectionality isn't like a stacking of oppressed identities. It's more about, it's not like, oh, now I'm, I'm trans, I'm poor and now it's stacked and now I'm higher than you in the the hierarchy of oppression, basically. It's more how sure. like each thing interlocks with each other. You know what I mean? Sure. Like in the in the instance of like the the George Floyd pro- protests, like you have whiteness, but you also are a woman and you also have chronic illness and how do these edges rub against each other and impact the way that you can show up. And that is the discussion. It's not where are you on the hierarchy? And if you're lower, you need to be there. It's more like where are these things rubbing and how does that impact your ability or inability in each particular situation with regard to your power or powerlessness to keep yourself and others safe, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And I think too, you know, thinking about those things and also about the way that, that especially over the course of the last couple of years, I have uh, sort of, I hate the term like woken up, but it really kind of has been um, an awakening to the systems that govern us and the way that the systems are essentially set up for us to fail, uh, mm-hmm. especially when we take a look at like millennials on down, we were never supposed to succeed. And and it has been oh God, devastating to think about some of these systems and how it is a minority of people who will ever rise to, you know, a certain specific linear level inside of the system. Right. And how um, all of these 
all of technology is also designed to to keep us inside of the system. We just did a seminar yesterday with um, a handful of nonprofits who are working on uh, campaigns around like tobacco addiction or vaping addiction in teens. And if you'll recall, you know, one of the things I said is I I likened it like you are operating on social media, which literally is like the same structure as these tobacco and vaping companies. They they are built on and profit from addiction and profit from misuse. And so thinking about these systems and how they're set up, I don't know how. And maybe this is a sweeping statement and I'm a total fucking hypocrite and I'm willing to accept that because I feel like we all are at some point. I don't know how we can at all say that it is somebody's individual responsibility to just know the things that we know because there's something like Google. We know, we know as a result of like having conversations on this podcast that search engines are set up to confirm our biases. They are set up based on the, the inter the interactions we have with them and the algorithm that exists there. So I I've, over the, the course of the last couple of years, really soured on the whole, like, go ask Google or Google's free or whatever, like, go do your own labor. I don't, I know that the concept of emotional labor was really like a big deal that we were all talking about, like, four or five years ago. And I'm kind of softening to this understand this, this, this idea that we can't, we can't do the labor, like on some, on some level, we have to, if we want things to change, we have to. And, and I say that, you know, about my own intersecting identities and whatnot, and we don't always have the spoons and we may have to rely on, on allies. This is where our allies come in. This is where other people in the community come in. But this is why telling people to just go to a search engine or believing, like, like forgetting that we used to not know this stuff too. And we had to be told and somebody did the labor for us to learn this, acting as though it's just been empirical this whole time that we we just knew these things and never had to be educated. That to me is what happens when people get stuck in awareness because they've yeah. just become aware of something. We tell them to go Google it because we're not going to do the labor. We're not giving them the steps that they need to take to do the next thing, to get to the next juncture. And so they do, and they find misinformation that is suited to their bias. And what we do as marketers always is we go, how do we get our prospect to the next step we want them to take? We have to orchestrate everything because humans, we think that humans should just automatically know what direction to take, but we don't. We need that guidance. And this is how societies are built by guiding each other. So I don't know. I know that we, we've got to wrap up, but I rambled a lot there. I, what are your thoughts on that? No, and I mean, we're not going to like solve this right now either. I, you know, for me, I have a lot of curiosity about where we go from here and I don't know. And I, I'm it feels weird to say excited to see, but you know, we have a certain lexicon right now. We have a certain thing we're looking through the world and I feel it changing. I feel like something new is coming on. I don't quite know what it is yet, but I think it's coming from the youths. Um, And I, you know, 
I want to try my best to remain open to whatever that is. And however, I need to shift my thinking to go there because I agree, it does feel like there's a stuckness right now. We did a lot. We've come a long way and things are starting to rub and we're like, "Mm, this ain't it. It ain't all of it. What's what's next? What's the next evolution of our thinking here? Um, So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, with regard to like everything. Wow. I also felt like I started rambling and then at the end I was self-conscious about it, but. (laughs) I think, you know, we, we are, we are, I think, um, this idea too, like I said, that, that, that everybody should have the information that we have is, is silly. Uh, it, it is revisionist history. Frankly, it is it is individual revisionist history that we just came out of the womb like a priori just like knew this stuff, right? We forget we have serious amnesia about who we were before we were here, who we are today. And we don't generally as a society afford people the same grace that we would have afforded ourselves in that moment. I think that, you know, when I'm thinking about action items, like I think about the fact that like, I remember when the the war started with Russia and Ukraine and I, I said, and this is probably going to sound super shitty. Um, I'm, I'm okay with that. I have to, you know, acknowledge like what I said and, and who I was, I, I was like, I don't know anything about this. And here's the thing. I do not have time to learn. And I do not believe that I am required to weigh in on everything that happens. As a matter of fact, I think it's dangerous to weigh in on things I know nothing about. And you could come back with that and say, well, it's your responsibility to learn. And here is just my really shitty practical thought about this. There is so much about my own American culture that I do not understand, that I am having to dismantle and unlearn and relearn. I have not scratched the fucking surface and I am somebody that pursues this kind of self-education actively. So to then try and go to a completely different land and assume that Every piece of information that I read about that, that conflict, that issue, that situation is accurate and unbiased is just not realistic. The only resource that we have that is completely finite is time. It is finite for all of us and there will never be enough time to do all the things that we have to do to just survive as people throughout the course of a day and wade into something so complex and assume that all the sources were handed and all the sources we pursue and all the sources we look for on the algorithm search engine that is like built to confirm our bias is completely unbiased and will give us a complete history of things. So I think when I think about action items and takeaways for me, it's give people some grace Don't expect that everybody knows just naturally what the next step is because you do, because at one point in time, you didn't either. Stop thinking or, or maybe rather just, just 
begin thinking that you are not immune to misinformation and that it is misinformation and propaganda in order for it to be effective, it has to look exactly like and sound exactly like the information you'd consume. So consider that propaganda doesn't come from just one kind of entity and false truths and half narratives are what are used to drive engagement with that. And that especially on social media, engagement is king. And the more that people will engage with content, the more it gets spread. And that's the thing is that misinformation spreads at exponentially faster than truth does. Um, so yeah, give people some credit and you know, uh, understand that if you want real solutions, you have to provide people with steps. That's just the human experience. Yes, I love that. And I was going to I was going to come in with an action item that we did um I think it was one of my professors when I was getting my bachelor's, but it was um presume good intent. Um so always presume good intent first from the people around you until proven otherwise. Um and I put that caveat in there because both of you and I have dealt with people who do not go into things with good intent. They exist. Those people exist. But overwhelmingly, we can presume good intent and it will create conversations that are a little bit more productive. And the second thing I was going to say, oh, I was going to comment. I don't think it sounds shitty for you to say you don't have to know everything. You don't have to do anything about everything. Um, I think that's a pretty common conversation in social justice circles is that um, time is a limited resource. Your energy is a limited resource and you just can't do everything. Um, so take a beat if you need a beat to educate yourself, um, before speaking. Yeah, no, I think that, um, the, the taking a beat is really imperative. I think it's imperative for us as people who consume information because it, it truly I, I keep seeing <laughs> this concept, this meme, this post going around saying that like you have to show up even if you show up imperfectly. And and I get the the idea behind it. I get that showing up imperfectly, you still showed up, that it's it's important to show up. I understand that. But what I don't understand is what imperfect means in this context that when we talk about showing up imperfectly, I feel like we should switch that word because imperfectly in this context almost seems to justify a spread of misinformation. It, it says to us, well, I'm not perfect. I didn't have all the facts. I didn't have all the information, but I showed up and that should count for something. And especially when you're looking at posts from, and it's not, it's not just this particular, uh, you know, current news cycle on things. This is, this is, Issues that happen everywhere, every day. I've heard myself say it, you know, saying something like uh, the silence from people is deafening right now. You know, I show up for you. Why wouldn't you show up for me? I'm noticing your silence. We all see your silence. And, and I know that I've said it before. 
And I also know that as I keep thinking about it, and and over the course of the last year, really, I keep thinking like people grow and learn and are educated in different stages. And I, I remember that the reason I started thinking about it was I had seen an ally show up on um, a queer issue with misinformation. And man, they were they were fighting with their whole heart on behalf of me, on behalf of you, on behalf of everybody. But everybody in the the LGBTQ community, anyway. But but they also they they didn't have the right information, and that did more harm than good. And so it's not to say that the whole concept of showing up imperfectly or saying things, you know, even though you don't have all the answers. I didn't just start thinking about this because I don't have all the answers. I started thinking about this because I saw firsthand that that misinformation in when when misinformation is under this umbrella of showing up imperfectly, it actually does more harm than good. And so maybe instead of showing up imperfectly, we can show up humbly. We can show up with curiosity. We can show up and say, this doesn't feel good. And I don't quite know why yet. And I'm, I just, I just want my friends to know, I want this community to know that I care for them. I don't know if there is, there is a way for us to, instead of showing up imperfectly, show up admittedly that we don't have all the information you know when when the attack when the Hamas attack on Israel first happened uh and then you know shortly before the the absolute siege from Israel um on the Palestinians I had said you know I don't I don't like when people on on either side of anything die innocent, innocent lives are being taken. And, you know, I saw some posts that were like, this isn't groundbreaking to say that. No, it's not groundbreaking. But why the fuck does it have to be? Why does it have to be groundbreaking in order for it to count? Sometimes the least groundbreaking things are designed to remind us of our humanity. And so this is, I guess, a really long winded way of saying that take a beat, it's okay to be human, but fact check your shit and understand that that people profit off of your mis your consumption of misinformation. People profit off of that. The wrong people. Because anybody that profits off of misinformation, frankly, is the wrong people. So actually fact check your shit. And when you fact check your shit, consider your sources. Uh, when people provide you educational materials, do a little research on those sources. And also don't feel like you have to try and consume everything. It's not physically possible. It's not, it, you're, you're time bound as a human. Um, and sometimes it's important to go out and enjoy the sunshine uh, versus um, staying in, in the muck mentally for a really long time. Um, anyway, that is, uh, that is our show. Uh, as always, you know, we want to help people 
with more responsible marketing and business practices, I think, you know, in this case, in this context, uh, that means that not stopping at awareness, that you really have to figure out what, not just identifying the problem for somebody to solve, that's super unfair, uh, if you don't give them a way to solve it. So providing the solution after you have either manufactured a problem or shed light on a problem. That's not to say that that all businesses do is manufacture problems by any stretch of the imagination. These are also, uh, many of these businesses are born out of problems that already exist. But also as a digital citizen in general, to provide solutions And to understand that the solutions you are being provided may not always be the most unbiased sources. Anyhow, uh, that is, like I said, our show. Uh, This has been Target Snarket, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. We hope that you enjoyed our show. We show up to you every Tuesday with a new pod. Uh, We have a great show coming up next week as well. We hope you enjoyed this one. Please be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. We do love reviews as well. They super help when we're getting ready to submit for awards season. So so uh, please, if you can, jump in, hit that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, uh, and like I said, wherever you listen to podcasts. And also make sure to follow us on social media at Target Snarket. That's on Instagram and LinkedIn at, at Target Snarket. We'll see you next week. Okay, bye. Thanks for tuning in to Target Snarket, a weekly podcast brought to you by Broad Digital Consulting. Our podcast is hosted by Danielle Bilbrook, Kaylee Myers, and Alan Connolly, and produced by Margot Gill. You can always learn more about Broad Digital Consulting on our website, broad.digital. That's B-R-O-A-D dot digital. Or you can find us on social media using the handle at Target Snarket. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you're feeling so inclined, we'd love for you to review our pod if you like what you're hearing. 